Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You want me to pay for the thing that we all used to poke each other and post drunk <laughs> selfies when we were in college. You've got to be joking. From poking to paying. Hey, that's the episode <laughs> title. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. So we do have a couple of later topics today, and those will be the main focus of the episode. But we did want to address one of the bigger stories happening in the world this week. Right, Laura? Yeah, we felt like we couldn't kick off the show without acknowledging what is happening in um, Israel and Palestine right now. We also feel a a level of responsibility to our audience to say something because there is no doubt that what is happening, the cost of human life, the cost to human safety is reprehensible. And we obviously stand against that kind of thing. But we're also not going to, as a panel of non-Jewish, non-Palestinian people, who don't have that background, we're not going to sit here and pretend that we know the right way for this issue to be resolved or pretend that we even know all the right things to say apart from letting our Jewish and our Palestinian friends know that we're thinking of them and that we recognize just the sheer amount of pain and uncertainty that times like these cause for these communities. Obviously, we think that violence against any group of people is deplorable, regardless of who exactly it impacts. But again, just really wanted to take the time to let our Israeli friends, our Palestinian friends know that we are thinking about you and we hope that you're okay. First of all, that was very well said. Second of all, we've obviously all been following the news. It's not like we're sticking our heads in the sand. It's just that there's certain topics, be it this or many, many other topics that we just 
choose not to address in a more detailed fashion on the show. We don't want to pretend to be armchair experts. That's the other thing. It's just like, (laughs) and and that's been our stance before. I mean, we, you know, there's a big conflict that happened in 2021 between Israel and Palestine as well. And our stance was also to address it in terms of letting you all know that we are keeping tabs on the story but not actually uh, crafting, you know, a full-fledged segment on that. And that is, as Andrew said, as a result of the fact that we know that we're not experts in um, world news, but specifically in terms of um, world conflicts. This is an issue that's been going on uh, for centuries. You know, the the ties here run so deep that we would be doing it a service, even trying to dedicate a whole episode to covering yeah. everything that we would need to touch on before we could even, you know, have a nuanced conversation about this. So Yeah, it would be extremely disingenuous for us to mm-hmm. act like we were equipped to do something like that. I also just wanted to bring up this great clip from The Daily Show when Jon Stewart was still hosting that has resurfaced in light of the latest conflict of the last week or so uh, from about 10 years ago, where there was a similar conflict playing out um, between Israel and Palestine. And John was kicking off his show trying to address it. And they demonstrated how difficult it can be to even say anything about this issue without immediately having people inspired to jump down your throat because it is such a touchy issue. So in the clip, he starts out by just saying Israel and immediately had five of his correspondents from the show leap up behind him and start yelling at him about various takes and points of view that people have about this conflict, really showing how complicated it is for anyone to talk about this. And it's worth pointing out, Jon Stewart is Jewish, right? And so he was even feeling as a Jewish man that it's so hard to begin to say anything about this without unintentionally upsetting or hurting somebody. So that really spoke to me. seeing that clip and just felt so relevant to the time and and kind of like one of those pieces of history you see repeating over and over again. And you're like, man, time is what is it you said, Andrew, one time a flat circle. Time is a flat circle. It just (laughs) keeps on recycling the same shit. So (laughs) recommend checking out that clip if you haven't seen it either. We can link it in the show notes. I can't take credit for that. Um, line by the way that was uh, Matthew McConaughey in True Detective when he's playing a detective and he says time is a flat circle and he crushes a beer can and it's it always sits with me and it's so true I, I definitely say it about um, non-fictional events like uh, like certain personal stories that I won't get into right now time is just mm-hmm. a flat circle our thoughts are with everybody who is affected by this of course and we'll continue to follow it and now um There's no good way to transition out of that, but we do have some exciting news concerning this year's physical gift for patrons. This is something we do every year um, since we launched the Patreon. We have this $10 level, the Bay level. Now we also have the executive producer tier, which is a $20 a month level to help run this show uh, amid rising costs. And so we're excited to share this year's physical gifts gift. 
and well, actually, kind of is plural. It is gifts, but we're gonna save the other mm-hmm. two little gifts as a surprise. Um, this year's gift is signed album art. Laura, Pam, and I passed around our album art across this beautiful country of ours to individually sign these. We're doing a few things different with this year's signed album art. And first of all, we have done signed album art before, but it was pre-Pam and it was with our old album (laughs) art. So now we have the latest album art with Pam involved. But we're doing a couple of things different this year. First of all, you might see on this one that I'm holding up to the camera, they are individually numbered this year, which we thought would just be a fun little touch to like show the individualness in individuality of each of these signed album arts. It's almost like a collectible art print if we all were famous. Second of all, like I teased a minute ago, there's going to be two extra surprises tied to this. We're not going to get into details today because we just want you all to be surprised when you open this. Um, I will say one's kind of like a ha-ha thing and the other one is, how do you want to tease this, Laura? leading to other mm, things it's yeah it is a super secret club if you will pam would you say that's a fair descriptor for yeah, it yeah and um definitely unlike anything we've tried before yeah it's it's very different brand new but we have definitely leveraged some of our early survey feedback to help inspire something that our patrons have been asking for. And it's honestly going to be one of those benefits where if you know, you know, and (laughs) you have to be a Bay patron to find out. (laughs) So all Bay and executive producer level patrons are eligible. However, you have to fill out a form because we want to make sure that you are interested in receiving this year's physical gift. And we also want to make sure we have your latest address. So the form is up on our Patreon now. You have until Halloween. So by Halloween, if Halloween comes around and you see kids trick-or-treating, I wanted to give a date that was easy to remember. Halloween. Yeah, that is. But it's right around the corner. So y'all better sign up now. <laughs> exactly. Two, three weeks from now. Make sure you're filling out the form. It'll only take a minute to do. We just need your address. Um, and then you will receive this probably in November, along with the two extra bonuses. Um, if you aren't a Bay or executive producer patron, you can go to patreon.com slash millennial and either upgrade your existing pledge or pledge now. So thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoy this year's physical gift. And by the way, as everybody probably knows by now, you get a new physical gift every year. Last year, we did a water bottle. or That was two years ago. Last year was the planner. Um, yeah. yeah. We do a lot of cool stuff. We did t-shirts. Yeah. And that was a two-year planner, too. So technically mm-hmm. carried over into this year, too. Yeah. And this signed album art, I mean, I don't think it's going to disintegrate until the year like 3000 or something. So this is a very <laughs> long lasting gift. No, I mean, that you can keep forever. <laughs> <laughs> Some people frame them, which I think is so sweet. Aww. I'm like, damn. Oh, I love <laughs> that. Sweet. Yeah. So thanks again, everybody. We really couldn't do this without you. We're excited to give back with these physical gifts every year. So with that, Let's move on to some other topics we know we wanted to talk about today. And actually, today's first topic and then After Dark are sort of tied together in terms of ghosts. Oh, I love that Ooh. connection. Sort of? Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. So it's October. Great month to talk about ghosts. But specifically, I wanted to talk about the 
art of ghost writing. And Scary. this was, <laughs> it can be, depending on who you talk to. This is really inspired um, in part by Britney Spears's memoir that's coming out in a couple of weeks here. I believe October 26th is when that's releasing. And also as a result of Stranger Things star Millie Bobby Brown putting out her debut novel. So the conversation surrounding both of those is kind of what inspired me to go down this rabbit hole. And we've kind of joked a little bit about books and specifically memoirs being ghost written a lot on the show. So I felt like it was high time that we kind of sunk our teeth into this conversation. So to kick things off, I wanted to know, how do we feel about the practice of ghost writing in general? And also, like, if you find out after the fact that something you've been excited to pick up was written by a ghostwriter, does that kind of like lessen your enthusiasm as far as like reading it goes? Or do you just kind of like shrug your shoulders and say, well, I was going to read it anyway. So what's the big deal? I guess if you set your expectations accordingly, it's not a big deal. Like we've said a couple times on the show now, it's highly likely Brittany is hiring somebody to write the book for her. Maybe she is putting a lot of thoughts down, typing them out or recording voice memos, and then a ghostwriter will repurpose those and put them in a more orderly structure to build a narrative. But I think as long as your expectations are set accordingly, it's okay. And it's also just safe to assume now that there's more ghostwriting going on um, than you would expect, I think, particularly when it comes to celebrities. The reason why I guess it really doesn't bother me at the end of the day is because I would think publishers require celebrities to have ghostwriters involved because who's to say these people are born authors they're not of course this isn't what they do if you're an artist if you're a a youtuber like you weren't you haven't honed your craft in writing a book so of course you're going to need help and i understand why a publisher wouldn't want to take a risk on somebody writing what would surely be if they don't have experience a shitty book yeah i This is such an interesting question. My feeling about ghostwriters is ghostwriting, like any other kind of writing, can be done really well or it can be done really poorly. And there are a whole lot of very accomplished, very smart people out there who just aren't good writers. And that's okay. Their stories still deserve to be told. And if they need a ghostwriter to help them do that, I think the more important thing is, do you find a ghostwriter who can capture the voice of this person so that when I'm reading this book, I believe that I'm hearing this person's story and not this person's story through a filter, I think is where my concerns more lie with ghostwriting. And we're definitely going to talk about at least one example of a really prominent person who I think we all respect using a ghostwriter. Yeah. And I'm glad that you both brought up the fact that sometimes people who are considered to be brilliant, whether they're celebrities or politicians or what have you, don't always have the tools to succeed as a writer, despite the fact that they have, you know, interesting stories to tell. And there was this really great feature that came out in the New York Times that profiled J.R. Moringer, who is the ghostwriter for Prince Harry's Spare. So obviously that is probably like the biggest book of the year in a lot of ways, at least the biggest nonfiction book. But uh, this article, which we can link to in the show notes as well, if anybody's interested in reading it, they interviewed a couple of different ghostwriters for it. And one 
author whose name is Michelle Burford said that the way that she explains the art of ghostwriting to the people that she works with is that, quote, they provide the raw materials to build a house and she puts it together brick by brick. You own the brick, she says, as she tells them, but you, and there should be no shame in this, don't have the skill set to actually erect the building. And so then that's when they come in and kind of assemble all of the bricks together to make a house. And I thought that that was a really good way to kind of frame it. Yeah. Because not everyone can be a writer. That is a great way to frame it. And you can extend that out to all types of industries, right? I mean... When you said that, I was just thinking about what I do with podcast editing. People record great stuff, but then it sounds like shit. And that's when they need help. Yeah. Or just like anything, if you are starting a website, but you're not a coder or a developer, what are you going to learn how to do those things? You're going to pay an expert who knows how to do it so you can get it done faster and better. Or a designer, like visual graphic artist. Right. Like, I I just don't see any shame in it. And I think it's so great that you brought up these other examples, Andrew, because this is literally the same thing. I think that there's a degree to which we gatekeep around this idea of writing a book. And if you yourself are not the one who sat down and wrote at your keyboard your stream of consciousness, then I think some of us have a tendency to look at people like that and think, well, you didn't really write the book or you didn't really earn the right to say that you wrote a book. I guess the difference is being an author writing a memoir. And for the reader, it's such like a personal experience. You really feel like you're reading something that they wrote. Whereas with some of these other industries, I guess it just like, goes without saying that they needed editing help, graphic design help, the list goes on. So if I were to play devil's advocate, I would say that's the difference. Plus, when you look at, let's say, Prince Harry's book, it doesn't have the ghost uh, ghostwriter's name on it. And we're going to talk about other examples where there is credit in a little bit. But I guess that's a little unsettling, too. Maybe it just needs to be more become more common practice to credit who wrote the book with you. Yeah, I think also just like the idea of writing a book is hard, right? I would love to write a book some someday, but I'm not famous enough to have a publisher like give me a ghostwriter to do it, right? I would have to do it on my own. That goes for all three of us. And so when you think about what all it would take to sit down and write something that you could then, you know maybe get a shot at publishing, the the road to get there seems long and arduous, right? And so maybe the real reason why it kind of leaves a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths is because the road for celebrities is just so easy, like it is with a lot of other things in life, right? That's a good point. Damn celebrities. But yeah, it, it just, yeah, I mean, that's everything. There's always going to be like privilege in the world. I guess, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So, But um, I think Laura was teasing that uh, there are also some examples of people that we might not have guessed had, you know, utilized a ghostwriter when writing their memoir. So I wanted to ask you all if, like, you know, does your perception of certain people change based on whether or not you discover that 
this book that you read by them was actually not written by them. Well, who's your example? Well, this was actually Laura's example, so I was trying to tear oh, up. Okay. But I see, when, we, I see. when we were when we were uh, planning this segment out, Laura brought up Michelle Obama, who you know somebody who's very smart, and she's written two memoirs now. But as Laura pointed out, she used a ghostwriter for at least the first one, right? Yeah, I don't know about. I honestly have not read the second one yet. But for her first one, becoming, she absolutely used a ghostwriter. And I feel like this was an example where she got a really good ghostwriter who captured her voice. Because honestly, when I was reading the book, it very much felt like I was reading something written by Michelle Obama. It had her tone. It had her cadence. Um, it it was thoughtful and personal and introspective. So I would say that that's actually a great example of how ghostwriting can go really well. And there could be a million reasons why Michelle Obama did this. It could be that she's just not that strong of a writer. It could be that she just didn't have time. She is a busy lady. Um, or she just didn't want to, right? Maybe it was easier for her to sit down, be interviewed, and then have that person take those notes and construct the the narrative. I know that she was involved in so far as approving things that were written by her ghostwriter. So it's not like she handed it off and said, okay, see you in two years when this gets published. I mean, she was still heavily involved in the work, yeah. um, which to me is, it still shows a level of commitment to the project that doesn't make me feel like she was being lazy about it or anything. So I still found it to be an enjoyable read, even with that knowledge. Yeah, and I would hope that these people who are the star of the memoir um, have the opportunity to add as much of their own flair as they want. Like, let's say whoever wrote Michelle Obama's book writes, you know, submits the first draft, and then Michelle Obama, there's no doubt she re read and reread it a million times, getting it ready, making sure it was all accurate and what she wanted. But maybe she gets to drop in a paragraph or two herself. She's just not writing the structure, she's not building the arc. She's she's mm -hmm. just contributing all the pieces that just need to be rearranged. But I would hope if I was having my memoir ghost ghost written by Pam, that I'd be like, yo, Pam, I want to add a paragraph here where I go off on. I don't know um, how cool the sphere was when I went to see you two there in in uh, 40 years ago, back in the year 2023. Um, I just <laughs> so I think I think that would be a creatively fulfilling process even if you aren't actually writing your book if you still get to add as much flair as you want yeah yeah and i would have to be like andrew you got to rein it in because you can't go on for 2000 words on why the sphere was so great <laughs> which <laughs> brings me to another point which is that even if you're not um you know utilizing ghostwriters even if you're writing the whole story by yourself you're going to work with an editor this yeah. happens to me even too with with journalism like it's not just I mean, like, it's mostly my words, but it's not always just my words because somebody's in there, ideally cleaning things up that I didn't catch or saying this is too convoluted. We have to change things. I remember the first time this happened to me, like where the editor I was working with basically changed the entire article almost. And it felt like the only thing that was like left behind was like. I don't know, like maybe like the first and last sentence. And I it felt so wrong to like keep my name on this thing that I, I just felt like it had like 
very little of me left in it. But, you know, then you have to think at the end of the day, like I did all the legwork and and their job is to be like unseen in the background. And honestly, that is um, that exists in pretty much every industry. I mean, if you think about it in politics, in, you know, businesses, they all have comms teams. And the comms team's job is to put together a coherent message. And the comms team isn't getting credit for that message. It's their job to be behind the scenes and let the people who are in the positions of power be the ones to deliver the message. They're crafting a message specifically in the voice and for that person to give. I mean, Biden doesn't write his own speeches. No president Mm -hmm. does. That's a good that's a good comparison. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm looking at this um, article in the New York Post that lists a bunch of people who have had their books ghostwritten. Um, Gilbert Gottfried, Denzel Washington, Serena Williams, Hillary Clinton had one of her books ghostwritten, Pam Anderson, Ashley Judd, Pete Wentz. Caitlyn Jenner, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, some people who actually wrote their own books, according to this article, Dave Grohl, Sharon Stone, and Matthew McConaughey. Um, you know, not to be a fanboy, but it seems like Bruce wrote his own as well. He just wrote it over I like seven years. Oh, you heard it too. Okay, good. I'm not being biased yeah. here. He wrote his over like seven years and was like, yeah. initially was like, maybe there's a book here. I'll just keep experimenting and slowly kept building it out. That's cool. You know who else cool. wrote their own was Barack Obama. I was um, wondering that. Yeah. Mm. Well, it was really funny because people were giving him shit about his memoir taking so long to come out. I don't know if y'all have read it, but it's longer than the Bible. And the one that he has out right now is only part one. There's a part two coming. (laughs) Um, And he, he wrote the thing himself. But we have to remember this man used to be a constitutional law scholar. So he has to be able to write pretty well. Um, But uh, it was funny because he threw a little shade at Michelle. I think somebody was giving him shit about her memoir coming out so much sooner than his. And he let the cat out of the bag and was like, well, she had a ghostwriter. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, <laughs> oh Barack, yeah. like, way to throw your woman under the bus. Yikes. <laughs> I have read quite a bit of A Promised Land. That's his book, part one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is heavy at points. I was skipping through some of his thoughts on different periods of his presidency. I've I've just I was kind of looking for more of the personal stuff, like a behind the scenes look at the White House and less of like the newsy stuff, the administrative stuff, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did get very wonky. Yeah. In there. Yeah. Which I loved. I I ate it up <laughs> every sure. I listened to the audiobook and he read the audiobook too. So I love that. That was an added bonus. <laughs> yeah. I guess these authors also redeem themselves when they do their own audiobook. Like Michelle Obama did hers. Yeah. If they didn't write it, at least they put the work in with recording the narration because that sounds like hell to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I you know, I haven't read it yet but my brother was texting me just last week about Leslie Jones's memoir which I guess just came out not long ago and apparently she did something crazy with her audiobook and she's not reading page for page from her book she's just recounting what's in the book from memory and so it's a completely different experience to the print version 
of her memoir. So it's like so a she's podcast. basically taking like the outline. Yeah. And like retelling it in her own flair. Maybe that's the happy medium here, because if she did work with a ghostwriter, I'm not sure if she did. Then more of her will be in the audiobook than in the, the physical copy. Well, moving on from nonfiction to fiction, I wanted to know if our feelings about books being ghostwritten kind of fluctuate based on whether or not these are, you know, memoirs or nonfiction tomes versus something that's completely made up. Because I I, I often feel like uh, people that implement ghostwriters that are writing fiction get a little bit more flack for it than people that are just putting out memoirs because it's like if you're making this up why even why make up the writer too or or did you even make it up are you just slapping your name on on some some story that you pulled out of a hat of like stories that your team oh like cursed child would be good (laughs) yeah that's a great (laughs) hey there are three names on that book though (laughs) that's true three too many for what they produced honestly yeah Yeah. (laughs) in the beginning when i was teeing up this segment i did talk about millie bobby brown um her book her first debut novel is called 19 steps and she has been interestingly very transparent about working not with a ghostwriter but with a collaborator collaborator named kathleen mcgirl so a lot of times you'll hear this Uh, vernacular used in lieu of ghostwriting because ghostwriting kind of feels a little bit more shady than saying I collaborated on something. Collaborator replies we wrote it together. Ghostwriters implies somebody else did this. (laughs) Right, exactly. So this is an interesting case that, you know, like like I said, she tried to get ahead of uh, potential backlash. It didn't really work because I, I just think that sometimes people want a more authentic experience to one of your points, right? It doesn't feel like Millie Bobby Brown herself put in the work, even though she based this, the idea for the story around some events that actually happened in her family. But because she works with a collaborator, it doesn't feel like it holds as, hold as much weight as, you know, a traditional author sitting down and painstakingly writing every single word of whatever gets published. But because it does kind of just like feel like you're trying to make a quick buck. Like, oh, let me get into the publishing industry as well and slap my name on something and I'll make my make some easy money off of something that somebody else wrote. And of course, this other person who ghost wrote it, wrote it or collaborated might be interested in this as well, because we know that ghostwriting is a big industry and they it's hard to break through. So if Millie Bobby Brown's name is on this book, this book is actually going to get sales, whereas it wouldn't have otherwise. And I think about other fiction authors like James Patterson and Danielle Steele. James Patterson does include um, the person who he co-wrote a book with on the cover, which is great. James Patterson's name is a lot larger, but he sells books. So that's understandable. Mm -hmm. Danielle Steele, it doesn't seem like people know for sure, but it's assumed that she has ghost a ghostwriter or ghost writers because she puts out a lot of books a year and it just seems like there's no way she's actually writing all these she's got like a villa in the south of france she doesn't have she's she's uh, or she's relaxing she's got a well-earned retirement if she's not writing any books she doesn't need to be pumping out six books a year or however many she does yeah she i never thought about this before but she really does have a lot of books yeah, I for it's so funny because like I've always questioned that. But like, well, when I used to work at the library, you know, 
very popular authors. People check out, you know, a bunch of books by both Patterson and Steele. I guess I just never questioned the amount of space that James Patterson took up on the library shelves because so many of his books, to your point, Andrew, have to build authors there. So even in my head, if I wasn't thinking like, oh, like he's working with a ghostwriter, it was like, well, this makes sense because it's probably easier to write a book with two people than it is just to write a book on your own. Yeah. But Pam, I see. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say something cool that James Patterson has done in the past, and I don't know if he's still doing it, but um, for a time at least, he did have a masterclass on writing, and he would always select one person from his class to co-write a book with him. So that was like the big reward that you would get if you were one of the top people in his class. And he did that because... He's always been pretty dedicated to helping unknown writers get their break. So I actually think that's a really cool way that he has utilized the co-author um, strategy to kind of help new and upcoming authors get their big break. That is cool. And on a related note, where I thought you were going with this is that James Patterson does have a class on Masterclass. It's just video. It's pre-recorded. He's not working with people. But you can learn oh, writing from James Patterson. That's because I think he used to do one that was more like maybe it was only a one time offering. But okay. that was definitely a benefit at least once that he would select somebody to co-author a book with him. That's cool. Now, who put this in? I didn't know about this. Steel address. Which one? The steel? Yeah. Oh, I did. Yeah, I put this in because I noticed that you mentioned Steele and Daniel Steele responded to ghostwriting claims in a very dramatic blog post from 2012. And I don't think we have time to read all of it, but I think that we could just read like the first couple of sentences here because I think that they're pretty funny. So she published this blog post called The Process and the Team. And she starts it off by saying, hi, everyone. As some of you know, from reading my blogs on a variety of subjects, I've reacted with amazement, shock and outrage when people have asked me in my fan mail, who writes my books? Who writes my books? Are you kidding? Who do you think writes my books? As I hover over my typewriter for weeks at a time, working on a first draft with unbrushed hair in an ancient (laughs) nightgown with every inch of my body aching after typing 20 or 22 hours a day at a stretch. That's who writes my books. Me. And then she goes on. Wow. I mean, this I she goes on for a while. I'm scanning through this yeah. whole thing. And while this is interesting, she does talk about her whole team. This is very mm-hmm. defensive for somebody who writes her own books. I mean, why not just leave it at that? The rumors aren't true. I write the books myself. Now, this was what? What do you say? 2012? 2012, I believe. So 11 years later. I don't know, y'all. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not buying it. I, I just anybody who pumps out so many books is probably not writing them themselves. Yeah. And that's OK. Like yeah. I don't care. I yeah. wouldn't say that I'm a big Danielle Steele fan, but like whatever, get your bag. And as long as you're <laughs> as long as you're paying the team that helps you do that well, then fine. I don't yeah. particularly care. And to that point, there are a lot of instances where you know, a series gets so big, uh, specifically, I popped in some children's book series that kind of fit this model that 
a series gets so big and so popular, publishers cannot churn out content fast enough. And so even if the original titled build author wrote, you know, the first however many, they'll implement ghostwriters to keep the series churning out new volumes at a faster pace. So some series that y'all might be familiar with that have implemented the strategy include Nancy Drew, Sweet Valley High, Goosebumps, and also the Babysitter's Club, which the I was a big Babysitter's Club back uh, fan back in the day, like growing up. And that makes so much sense to me now with the hindsight of an adult, right? Like, how did this one lady have 200, you know, available Babysitter's Club books at the library at a time? It's like, that's because she didn't write all of them. Like, that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Boxcar Children, that was my babysitter's club. I when I went into Pals, the lovely bookstore in Portland earlier this year, I went through the kids section. Oh my God, I had forgotten just how many boxcar children and goose bumps and babysitters clubs books. There are so many. So that makes sense. But so like many. if you think of goosebumps, like every single one of those books. You only see one person's name on it, R.L. Stein. <laughs> Everybody yeah. else is not being credited. And, you know, mm-hmm. like Laura, you said, if if they're happy, if they're being taken care of, then it's no big. But yeah, yeah, it'll come as a surprise to no one that I was a Goosebumps kid. That was that oh, was that my so much sense ghost written series of choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It makes sense. I mean, I remember I did reach an age where I also saw how many of those things there were. And I questioned whether R.L. Stein was even real or like, is he just like a composite <laughs> author? Um, I I think he is a real person. He but is. He, yeah. Um, but it's funny because every time they do, you know, an adaptation, whether it's a movie or there's an upcoming TV series on Disney Plus, they include R.L. Stein as a character. Oh. I think that's so macabre and so funny and yeah. it works so well. It does. I love yeah. it. And I, I feel like, you know, to that point, I, I just feel like authors are so much more mysterious when we were younger, you know, mm-hmm. back before there was social media. Like, I had no idea what R.L. Stein looked like. I still don't. What? <laughs> I bet you do. I just saw him on TikTok. So I, I do know. He's on TikTok? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm going to find out now. Yeah. Uh, Liza in the Discord also says Lemony Snicket. That's another, that was another big reveal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was still him writing. Isn't... Yeah. It's just, no, but like you might not have like known what he looked like. Yeah. And his legal name wasn't yeah. Lemony Snicket. It's something else. Right. Maybe Laura doesn't want to shatter the glass on R.L. Stein. Whatever. <laughs> Just close your eyes, Laura, and imagine what R.L. Stein looks like. And that's exactly what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking at it now. And you are correct on that. That is exactly what I would have imagined. Yeah. Go and um, he's he's on Masterclass, too, actually. So, oh, man, he's he does put himself out there. Man, I'm going to have to ask for his masterclass for my birthday or something this year. Well, oh, boy, I wish they were a sponsor of this show because I'd love to give you a promo code. Brought them up three times already. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, James code, Patterson. M-I-L-L. Yeah. He, they've sponsored MuggleCast before. Um, but yeah, R.L. Stein teaches writing for young audiences on Masterclass. Master clap. Master clap. Get the clap in ways you never knew possible. 
master oh, man. the clap. <laughs> I bet the master clap has antibiotic resistance too. <laughs> no, but master class is like 10 bucks a month, I want to say, and you can access yeah. all the classes you want. So I yeah. think it's pretty cool. There's so many big names on here. It's insane. Like I'm genuinely blown away by master class. Yeah. We are going to go and sketch out our plans for our Master Clap class on Master Class, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So actually, speaking of subscriptions, I wanted to spend some time talking about various platform subscriptions, ones that don't exist and ones that already exist. The ones that don't exist seem to be coming soon. This is a lot of info I'm going to be sharing. So you two, please jump in at any time. I'm going to run out of breath probably within like 15 minutes from now, I expect, as I look over all this information. First of all, you two use and love and dare I say are addicted to TikTok. Correct. TikTok is currently testing an ad-free subscription that would be $4.99 a month. And... I don't need to say any more about it. It's TikTok without the ads. First of all, you two, again, spend a lot of time on TikTok. How quick does how quickly do you realize that what you're watching is an ad? It's usually pretty obvious, I feel. Um, so within the first couple seconds, I can tell it's an ad and I swipe because I'm not interested. <laughs> that was going to be question I, two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, f- I feel like too, I don't know, Pam, if you've noticed this, but I feel like the ads are out of control on TikTok they, right now. They like, are. And it's, they, you know, what really fucked it up was the eligible for commissions tab mm-hmm. because it's like, I don't know if like. I get that some like I I follow a few um, makeup artists. Right. And so that they'll have eligible for commission, the eligible eligible for commission tab at the bottom of their post. But it's not necessarily that they're running an ad on the TikTok that pops up. You know, sometimes it's just because they're linking to the, the brush they used for that tutorial. Right. And so it's like that kind of content, I don't mind. But now I have to like sit through and suss out whether or not this person is just trying to get me to like buy something because they're sponsored by the company or if they just like are trying to make some money from affiliate links, which like, you know, no shame in that game. And when I'm on TikTok and I do see an ad, it does take me a second or two. Obviously, you can look towards, I guess it's the bottom left and that's where you will see um It'll say there will be the sponsored tag. But anyway, it sounds like you two are not going to start paying $4.99 a month for ad-free TikTok or whatever it might cost. No. Mm-mm. To be honest with you, I will say with how many ads there are now, 
I feel like I'm having to skip an ad like every three videos, like it's excessive. And to be honest, that has impacted the amount of time that I spend on TikTok. I'm still on there with fair regularity, but I do not spend nearly as much time swiping and watching everything on my For You page as I used to. One, because I just don't have as much time anymore. During the pandemic, I had nothing but time. (laughs) But like now it's like, yeah, if I have a few minutes of downtime and I want to kind of disassociate and unplug and watch something stupid and mindless, I can literally go to like YouTube and look for something or even go to YouTube shorts. Yeah. And because they're basically copying the TikTok format, right? And um and find something there without having to constantly skip through this barrage of you know sponsored content yeah yeah i i have noticed that like sometimes it seems like the ads are more frequent than other times and so i wouldn't be surprised if they're pushing more ads out during the times when more people are active on the app mhm or, the good thing is, is that they definitely try to like cater the ads to what they think you're going to want to buy. So after you see, you know, that ad the first time, it's like anytime it comes up, you can just scroll past right away. But Or maybe their goal is to drive you so crazy that you will sign up for a subscription to ad free TikTok. Because if people are addicted whole, to it, they're know, not going to want to quit it. Most people, I would yeah, think. You know what? It's funny because like scrolling past an ad on TikTok is annoying, but I don't find it as annoying as the fact that YouTube makes you manually skip ads. Oh, I hate that. I think it's so Mm -hmm. dumb. It's like if I walk away from my computer and the ad ends, I don't want you to roll me another ad. I want you to just go back to the video. Oh, it doesn't just go back. I hate that you have to hit the skip ads button. That's what I thought you were talking about. You have to skip. Yeah. But if you let it run, like I've definitely like say... I'm in the kitchen and I'm watching like a podcast on YouTube, right? If an ad rolls and I'm out, like I'm taking Jasper to the bathroom, even if that ad ends, it will not um, go past unless you skip or sometimes it'll just start another ad. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I've had that happen before too. Wow. It's very annoying. You know, something that occurs to me and it's not, a point reference here in the doc, so forgive me, but this four ninety nine a month subscription fee for ad free TikTok makes me wonder what, if any, amount of that is going to creators on TikTok. What is TikTok going to do with this money? They do have yeah. a very big problem right now, where creators are underpaid. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that could be a good discussion for another time. I think we've had a discussion like that before, but you do have to wonder, will creators start seeing this revenue? Because the ad that you see, well, that, that's a good question. I don't know. Because if you watch hundreds of TikToks, maybe a day, you start splitting that up amongst all the people whose TikTok videos you're watching. I mean, that comes down to less than a penny. It's going to work out too if you split yeah. that out across a month. So I don't know. Good question, though. The last we spoke of it, the reason why they were getting away with not paying out um, TikTokers as much for ads is because the ads aren't technically tied to content like they are on YouTube. 
And so they're running independently in between TikToks, but they're not actually like running before anyone's TikTok, which is so dumb. But then also I I just learned that uh, TikTok will only let you buy into their creator program if your TikToks are like over a minute long anyway. So like there's a lot of factors at play there that make it really hard for for people to succeed, I think, monetarily. It's not as cut and dry as it is on YouTube. Yeah. And I I imagine that if they were to take any proceeds from these subscription fees and give them to creators, it wouldn't be like a, a, a divvy it up equally and give the same to everyone. It would definitely be based on how big you are. Mm-hmm. Right. So some creators would get more than others. And probably how often you're posting. They want to reward lots of posting and lots of followers, lots of engagement. My general life tip through all of this today is anytime you are presented with a subscription to something, just ask yourself, is the cost worth the convenience? For example, another subscription that has been shoved down my throat is a subscription to my garage door opener and my garage door contraption that sits at the top of the garage door. So of course I have a remote, you know, in my car, like everybody, and you press the button and the garage door opens. Well, with this MyQ subscription, when your car approaches the garage, it'll automatically open the garage door for you. And it works out to more than $5 per month. And you're like, you're joking. Hey, I already bought your garage door opener. I already paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars for that. Second of all, now you want me to pay monthly to replace the garage door remote in my car. I'm paying $5 a month or more in perpetuity to not hit a button attached to my visor. That is insanity. That's ridiculous. You're not doing it right. Of course not. I would hate myself if I did. I am proudly hitting my garage door clicker (laughs) as I come and go. And by the way, because they have a trial. It takes two seconds. Takes two seconds and half a calorie to raise my arm up and hit the button. (laughs) And by the way, they have a trial. It doesn't even work half the time. I'm like, this is the biggest joke I've ever seen in my life. It's buggy. Oh, my yeah. And they're wanting to charge for it. And it's basically a beta product. <laughs> God. Anyway, speaking of social media apps, though, Meta is planning to charge $14 per month for a subscription for an ad free Instagram or Facebook or $17 per month for ad free Facebook and Instagram on desktop in Europe. So this is in response to European regulators. I'm quoting an article now from the Wall Street Journal. Meta wants to charge Europeans for monthly subscriptions if the users don't agree to let the company use their digital activity to target ads, according to a proposal the social media giant has made in recent weeks to regulators. The proposal is a gambit by Meta to navigate European Union rules that threaten to restrict its ability to show users personalized ads without first seeking user consent, which jeopardizes its main source of revenue. Um, they hope to roll out the plan in the coming months for European users. It will give users the choice between continuing to access Instagram and Facebook free with personalized ads or paying for versions of the services without any ads. And if they don't agree to either of those things, they can't use Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> so pay us or accept personalized ads because personalized ads are the ones that make all the money or get off our platform. 
See you later. Wow. I, I really hope this is a case of Meta fucking around and finding out because how funny would it be if people were, was, were just like, I don't want to see your stupid ads, so I'm just going to quit Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't seem smart. I mean, this is clearly in direct response. I know you mentioned, Andrew, in response to European regulations, but it's mm-hmm. directly in response to Europe's GDPR. Yeah. I don't know how much y'all have heard about it, but the general data protection regulation, which puts to Andrew's point, just like a whole lot of heavier regulations on data privacy in Europe, in the EU, than in most of the rest of the world. Yeah, that's why we have to accept cookies now. Yep. Those messages have ruined the internet. And that's not an exaggeration. But it's a direct (laughs) result of what's going on in Europe in terms of the internet and stuff. So, Well, and to be honest, it's not just Europe. I mean, California has put out a very similar data privacy law that carries a lot of the same requirements as GDPR. It's just a little difficult when the rest of the U.S. isn't doing the same thing for (laughs) that to be complied with. It's easier for developers Mm -hmm. to not target by state or country and just do this blanket thing. It also kind of protects them in the future if other states decide to do something similar to what California is doing. But the reason I wanted to bring this up, you know, getting back to what I said at the top of today's episode about an American bubble that we exist in, it's also possible that Meta is going to see how this goes and then decide, well, let's bring a subscription, an ad-free subscription over to America and other countries around the world. Because why not? Why not give it a shot? And especially if it's going to make them more money than advertising would. Now, I will say, I think most people over in Europe will just agree to the personalized ads. Because we've all grown so accustomed to personalized ads. Why wouldn't you just say yes unless you really are concerned? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's going to actually happen. Subscription revenue is the big thing, though. So I, I see them trying to do something similar across the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would we Would we do that? I think, I don't know. That might be the death of meta for me. I might just <laughs> go totally off the grid. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you want me to pay for the thing that we all used to poke each other and post drunk <laughs> selfies when we were in college. You've got to be joking. From poking to paying is what they'll call it. <laughs> Look, I use Instagram a lot. Hey, that's the episode title. So yeah. So depending on the price of like just what it would cost to pay for no ads on Instagram, I might actually give that a thought. $14 or $17 a month. The price also will depend on if you subscribe via phone or via desktop because Apple and Google take their cuts of subscri- subscription revenue. You know, I would pay maybe $5 a month for Instagram ad free. I would think about it. I would think about it. I, that does pain me. But same thing what you two were saying about TikTok. Like, there's a ton of ads on Instagram now. And you start looking down one rabbit hole for one product. Like I've been looking for iPhone cases then it's non-freaking-stop iPhone case ads for ever, it feels like. Yeah. Do you know what? It's <laughs> directly related to this show. After Laura and I were shopping for you, I got nothing but white sneaker ads for weeks. <laughs> for, for like I'm two weeks, I guess, because it's probably been like two weeks since, but they just have now disappeared and maybe they'll come back if my phone is listening to me. <laughs> I'll let you guys know. By the way, almost but... everything has arrived from that variety show segment. I just need to exchange Ooh. one thing, I think, and then I'll do some photos of the looks that Laura and Pam designed for me, came up with for Oh, me. my God. That was so fun. I want to do know. it again. 
I had fun too. I was so flattered that they wanted to like to come up with my wardrobe. I was like, wow, you're spending time on me. That's so sweet. You gave us so much power. It was great. I know. <laughs> oh, I can't. I'm very happy with all of it. I've been trying it all out, of course. We'll definitely address you for your first memoir release, which I'm sure you <laughs> won't have a ghostwriter for. A ghost uh, <laughs> wardrobe designer. I think it sounds like. Okay, so let's move on to a dating subscription. Now, if you've been on Tinder or if you've been on Bumble or any of these others, you know the subscriptions. Tinder's really pushing it now. They have unveiled Tinder Select. Are you sitting down? This is a $500 a month. A month. What? Subscription. That's bananas. And in my opinion, this is just preying on desperate or creepy people. So as part of the premium plan, subscribers can message people they've not matched with, while the most sought-after users, aka the hottest, will see their profiles. Tinder says it only offers the plan to less than 1% of its users it considers extremely active, meaning lonely, and that the applications will open up on a rolling basis. Uh, You will be able to message people you haven't matched with up to twice per week, which I don't know why a user would want to be messaged by somebody they haven't matched with. That's like half the appeal of Tinder. (laughs) Yeah, but also if I swipe left, I don't want you to bother me. Like, yeah, it's really shifty that Tinder is just bypassing. It feels like such a um, like a a breach of security almost. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, also, like, now hang on a second. You want to charge me $500 a month for this fucking thing, but you want to place limitations on how many times I can reach out to people? <laughs> Unsolicited? Let me bother like, whoever I want on Tinder. <laughs> Damn it, for $500 a month. I mean, like, I obviously, that's an extremely entitled point of view, but I have to imagine if somebody's paying $500 a month, I mean, I'm not that great. At on the spot math, <laughs> punching it that's, into a calculator. That's six thousand dollars a year. <laughs> and Tinder so believes this money. is going to be a major new revenue stream for them. Oh my you god! Can, you can imagine though the type of people who are going to do this, and I, I, I don't want to make fun of them or anything, but just people no. who haven't been able to make it work in relationships, and maybe they also have a lot of money, and or maybe they just try this out for a month or two just to see how it goes. And this isn't the only tier they have. You know, I've been on Tinder to make friends, like even recently, and they have a, a few different levels. And they're always trying to get you. They're always like, I have the free one, of course, but they're always trying to upsell you. Like, oh, for the next one hour, you can get Tinder, whatever, Tinder Gold for half off or something like that, and then you can see who likes you and all that. Um, and you can rewind when you accidentally swipe left or right. So um, it's just it'll be interesting to see how this one goes as well, because, yeah, I feel I feel bad. I feel like Tinder is taking advantage of people who are just desperate to talk to people. Yeah. I also I want to just give Riley and our discord a little bit of a shout out because they just said something that made me chuckle Um, when we were asking who the hell has five hundred dollars a month to spend on Tinder. Riley was like incels. Do incels have money? (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to look and find out. By the way, in reading this story, Match Group, who owns Tinder, I didn't know this. They acquired the League which is an even more expensive and invite-only dating app. The League, I'll wait for Laura to put her Diet Coke down. I don't want her to spit it out. Costs up to 1000 per week. 
and targets ambitious career-oriented singles. The league, however, does use human matchmakers. So there's that. But still, (laughs) whoa. It's like Stitch Fix for people. I wish I had that kind of money. That kind of fuck you money. (laughs) For real. Like, that's some, like, you could solve world hunger kind of money. Are you, like, are you fucking kidding me? I bet Elon uses that. I read this wrong. I thought it was 1K a month, which would still be a lot. 1K a week? A week. And I guess it's because you're working with a human to actually matchmake. Wowie. Yep. That's how Elon met Grimes. That's $4,000 a month. That's, like rent for people oh yeah that's um i'll do more i'll do some laura math that's forty eight thousand a year <laughs> jeez that's i no. mean that is like i think more than the average american salary yeah 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 and again i'm wondering like if you need to spend a thousand dollars per week i think you got other issues like okay you have the money good for you for whatever reason you have that money, but I think there's something else you need to work on. You need to spend that money in therapy or, or something else. Interpersonal communication. I mean, at that point, why don't you just go to a matchmaking service? It's a one and done, and they're probably going to guarantee, you can see what their guaranteed success rate is. It's the same thing, right? And it's probably going to be cheaper than having to pay for a full year of the league. Yeah, so I'm looking at this. The average annual wage for someone between 20 and 24 years old is 38,000 according to Forbes. For 25 to 34 years old it's 52,000. So you're talking about these rich assholes taking in some cases more than in some cases more than half of another human salary and paying for this shit. It's just so eye-roll worthy. <laughs> And do you want to be meeting people who have this much money to blow on a dating app? Like you're both going to roll up in Lamborghinis and uh, do you have any interests besides your job? Well, and it it implies like because of how because of how gate kept it is, right? Most people can't get into it. You're in a very exclusive club where it's all a bunch of people who are in your same tax bracket and you probably already know each other because you run in the same <laughs> mm-hmm. circles. So why are you paying $1,000 a week to get matched up with the same 10 fucking people you know who are the some of the richest people in the world? Like, I, I don't understand. Speaking of running in the same circles, <laughs> I was looking at the league's website, theleague.com, and they say, don't worry, we have this feature where you can connect your LinkedIn account to hide your profile from other people you know on LinkedIn. Oh, my God. <laughs> so your boss won't find your profile because your boss probably has this, too. That <laughs> is funny. <laughs> but how many how many people can be on this platform? Can't be that many of them. Is there a money back guarantee? Sorry, we got yeah. nobody else near you to match you I with. promise <laughs> your, if your boss is on there, they're going to find you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> unreal. I've noticed on Tinder or Bumble or both, you can actually prevent people who are in your phone contacts from seeing you on Tinder or Bumble. And I do like that, actually, because I don't need my IR, IRL friends seeing me on that on the app. I don't know. Yeah. Not like I have anything to hide. It's just weird to see your friends on one of these. Yeah. Does TikTok have a feature like that? Because I would really oh like it if it did. Me too. 
TikTok? The, the number of times that I keep, I'm sure you guys are like this too. It's like, I keep getting recommended all these contacts and I, I'm sure that they're getting recommended my profile too. It's like TikTok. If neither of us have followed each other, we don't want to interact. We're just trying to pretend like the other person isn't here. Yeah. And I've definitely had like a couple of cases where someone has followed me, but I have not followed them back. And I keep getting served their videos and I scroll past them very quickly, but they keep that's happened to me serving them to me because I guess maybe they're still in my contacts. Maybe if I delete their contact, it will stop. No, because if you're still in theirs, you'll probably still get I know the notification. I wish there was a way to take your contact out of somebody's phone. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I know, right? this is fun, but we need to take a break for a second. Yeah. And uh, Andrew's like, shut up. Afford our uh, <laughs> dating app subscriptions. And we'll be right back. Okay. So a couple more subscriptions I wanted to hit on quickly. First of all, Spotify is going to be adding 15 hours of audiobook listening per month to premium accounts. I think this is really great. And I think I might actually use it. I know a lot of people love Audible and their credit system. You get one or two credits a month, and then you can spend those credits on a book. Um, But I don't want to commit to that. That scares me. So if Spotify just adds 15 hours of audiobook listening per month at the existing subscription rate, I'm going to give this a try and maybe finally start listening to audiobooks. Um, I was also looking at the lengths of audiobooks, and it seems like a lot, not most, but a lot are under 15 hours. So you could probably get through an entire book once a month. And maybe you just go through half of it one month and the second half the other if it's too long of an audiobook. Do you see you two Mm -hmm. use Spotify too? Would you use this? Yeah, I'll try this. Yeah. I mean, I I pay for premium subscription already. So this is a no brainer for me. Yeah. I just hope it means that the prices aren't. I hope it doesn't mean the prices are going to go up again. They're not going to mm. be like, here they come. Well. <laughs> in time, yeah, in time. Yeah. But speaking of higher prices at Spotify, it leaked that they have another higher tier coming soon. It's called Spotify Supremium, which honestly is really clever. Supremium. I do love it. It's that. going to be a $20 a month tier. The existing tier right now, I think, is $12 a month. They recently raised the price a buck. Right, Pam? You said that to me. I, yeah. Is it $11.99? Okay. Now it's $11.99? $10.99? Yeah. $10.99? It went up a dollar. This new tier, Supremium, will be $20 per month. And here are the features that have leaked. We don't really know the full details around these. It was just... Again, it was like a leak through source code. Something called your sound capsule, a feature called advanced playlist mixing tools, like you can um, mess around with BPM, vibe, mood, activity, genre, etc. There's going to be AI playlist generation tools. This is really interesting. I saw a separate leak. It looks like you're just going to be able to type into like, you know, something that looks like ChatGPT. Give me music that's great for the beach while I have my best friend over and two of my parents. I think you're going to be able to get really specific and it'll generate a playlist around that. That's really cool, I think. That is really cool. You will also get Last FM style listening stats. Last FM love that. is a major throwback. It logs every song that you listen to. Um, and speaking of audiobooks, you will get 20 to 30 hours of audiobook listening per month. Also pretty cool. 
And last but not least, 24-bit lossless audio. Now, this sounds nerdy, so I'm going to keep it as basic as possible because, hell, I don't even really know what I'm talking about here. It's just higher quality music. The streaming quality will be much, much higher. This is something that Apple Music and Tidal have actually had for a while. Spotify has been the lone holdout. They have said it was coming for a time. They were calling it Spotify Hi-Fi. Now they decided they needed to wrap it into a whole new tier. Um, The thing is, though, with high-quality music, I would caution people, don't get fooled by this, especially if you're listening through Bluetooth headphones or speakers, because the the bitrate just gets reduced anyway. It gets compressed. It's not as high-quality as they're saying it is. You need wired headphones and really good speakers or headphones to actually appreciate 24-bit lossless audio. Um, This one tempts me, honestly, 20 bucks a month for how often I use Spotify. And then the question is, too, what's going to be their family plan? Pat and I split the family plan. Yeah. They also have the Spotify Duo plan, which is like two. It's a two-person plan. It's $14.99 per month right now. Then the family plan, I think, probably goes up to $18.99 a month or $20. We leech off my parents' family account. Premium is $16.99 per month. That's really good for up to four up to six people. Damn. That is really good. Oh, that's really good. We're definitely gonna be raising prices soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That like this whole like we're releasing all these new features. Yeah. Is like the precursor. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so you two will give this a try too, it sounds like maybe you'll think about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I might be open to it if the price is right. I think. Yeah, some of this is cool. The The BPM is great. Like if you um, are like a, a runner or a jogger, just to be to have a playlist that's curated by BPM. Yeah. That is help you keep your cool. pace, which is really nice. Yeah. And I have noticed, actually, they do have playlists that are that are focused around certain BPMs. But I guess maybe what you can do is maybe I'm just guessing take an existing playlist that you have and like be like, add more songs that are that are this BPM because they have features like that already yeah. where you can I would just love to do like a song right it's like give me like oh. I'm gonna give you a song and like give me like a, a like a playlist vibe that has the same BPM that matches this yeah yeah and then if you could also like if it could and I'm sure they'll be you'll be able to do this because it wouldn't make sense not to like if you could filter out by like maybe like your top artists or whatever then it's going to automatically like feed you things that you're that already listening really cool. to. Yeah. So we'll see when that shows up. Last subscription news I want to hit on. And this is a uh, recurring story at this point. Netflix is planning on raising prices again once the actor strike is over, according to a recent report. Netflix has raised their prices seven times on the standard plan between 2013 and 2022. So this will be the eighth time. We don't know yet how much higher it's going to go up. I would assume a dollar or two. I'm exhausted. (laughs) I just I don't know what else to say. I really need to start cutting back on these subscriptions. I don't feel like I personally use Netflix. Pat does for uh, Great British Bake Off. Um, I guess there's one or two other shows we dip into when new seasons air. But do I return to Netflix when I'm looking for something? No. For me, these days, it's it's normally Max. Yeah. Max is our number one when we're just casually looking for something. We don't specifically have anything in mind. And we can usually find something on Max. Um, but I will say Netflix, where they kind of keep me, is... 
every time I'm flirting with the idea of canceling it, they drop something or they announce something that I'm super interested in. And that's how they keep me. Like they got me in October because they've got a couple of new murder things on there, but they've also got a new Mike Flanagan show coming out. Follow the House of Usher based on the Poe story, uh, which is right up my alley. So I'm obviously not canceling in October. <laughs> and then we'll see what they will. And then won't they have the crown coming Crown's in November? Back in November. Yeah. God damn Only it. Part one. Part one. <laughs> Of course, of course they are. <laughs> Part two comes in December, so that's two months, two more months they squeeze out of you. Um, yeah, at least it's it's only in a month that we ha- we only have to wait a month. That's not that bad. It could be worse. That is good. Yeah. My gripe with Netflix is whatever. I think price increases are just part of life with these subscription services. It makes sense. But so much of what's on their platform sucks. I wouldn't complain about it if they genuinely had great, solid content across the board like they used to. Netflix originals used to carry the reputation of being solid, groundbreaking television. We are just not in that stage anymore. If we were still there, I probably wouldn't complain about a price increase. You also just keep canceling good yeah, shit. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's so frustrating. And there's like, I don't want six bad new shows. I just want another season of this show that you canceled. And there's so much to look through. You just get overwhelmed. This is what happens to me. And I bail out. I go from one app to the next. I go in this cycle. And then I'm so exhausted. I just go to YouTube TV and I turn on Shark Tank or something. I just, (laughs) it's too much. It's overwhelming. (laughs) My Disney Plus subscription is finally coming to an end. I've had four years all all paid up front because I got the three-year thing we talked about on the show many moons ago. Verizon gave me a, a free year for being a customer. Now it's coming up. Those prices are going up, I think, either tomorrow or Thursday. So Wednesday or Thursday. And I'm looking at the new annual subscription price. It's like over $140 or it's like $170, yeah. something like that. It's a lot more. I don't fucking watch it. I don't care about Star Wars anymore. I'm going outside and I'm touching grass these days. I have a life. My <laughs> life isn't centered around Baby Yoda and all this other crap. Now, that said, I have gotten into Survivor. I'm, I'm, I've made a choice to get into Survivor this year, and I'm enjoying it so far. But that's on YouTube TV. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm living in the real world, and I'm saving money. I'm blowing my money on drinks and extracurricular activities i'm done (laughs) with disney and netflix thank you you know (laughs) you know that disney subscription i'm pretty sure the annual is going up like 50 percent because i seem to recall the last time i paid for an annual subscription for disney it was in the 70s range yeah me too last year when disney plus premiered wasn't it six or seven dollars a month that yes. was four years ago. Yeah, but it's because they have it. Uh, the ad tier, the ad supported tier is going to be the cheaper tier, right? Yeah, they're trying to push everybody. Yeah. That's a theory I've heard. They keep raising prices, whether it's Netflix, Hulu, whoever. They're trying to push people to the ad tier because actually they're making more money through throwing ads in your face. Max, of course. 
I used to think it was the other way around. I mean, with podcasts, it seems to be that subscription revenue is way better, but uh, this television ad money is way better. Mm -hmm. I might just wait for Cyber Monday because that's sometimes when you can get some decent deals on subscriptions. And I have a feeling that they're going to bundle Hulu and Disney Plus for Cyber Monday. They do have a good ad-supported tier that combines Disney Plus and Hulu. I think that's $10 a month. Yeah. I, that's at good. this point, I don't care about ads. Yeah. It's like, I, I just don't want to pay 20 bucks per subscription. Right. Like- I care about the ads, though. It's tough for me to go from like Hulu. I've gotten used to it. But Netflix, mm-hmm. I don't want to watch ads. You, Disney Plus. You and Mama G. Every time I turn something on for her with ads, she's like, I'm not used to ads. Like, well, <laughs> I don't know what yeah. to tell you. I wish I wish my mom was Mama G because because Mama <laughs> S is paying for the the ad version of Max and I hate it. I'm like Mama S, be like Mama G. Hate the ads like Mama G. <laughs> but M- Mama G doesn't pay. She waits for Pamela and Sergio to pay. <laughs> well, Mama S loves her Sex in the City, so she is a proud customer of Max. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I have to say, with regards to Disney, something we were holding out on was Loki season two. Episode one hit the other day, and I haven't watched it. Is it not good? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I'll say it is, um, it's not the worst thing they've put out in this phase, but it's also <laughs> not the best. So here's the thing I, I anticipated that it wouldn't be that great because they've just not been hitting you know, the mark, the last few things that they put out. So I was waiting for a couple of episodes to drop to see if it was an easier binge than a week to week. So I'm just kind of like hoping I can like sludge through. It's shocking because the first season was so good. The writing was so good. And yeah, this I mean, I'm like, clearly you didn't get the same writing team. (laughs) I've seen mixed reviews. And well, with the current state of Marvel, I guess who can be surprised? There have been a a few stumbling blocks. Yeah, I did like Miss Marvel a lot. I thought that was great. I'm excited for the Marvels. So I feel like I have to watch Loki season two to kind of like prep for that. I know it's all gonna. Yeah. So Pat said to me, hey, it's time to start watching Loki season two because we watched season one together. And I said to him, you know what? I'm touching grass these days. You can go watch Loki by yourself. I'm touching grass and watching Survivor on my YouTube TV subscription. I'm done. So even when you're not outside, you can pretend to be outside Survivor. (laughs) Yeah, that and The Amazing Race, too. Same thing. Anything I watch now, it has to be documenting outside. Except for Jeopardy. Except I don't even watch that anymore. I'm done. I'm free. Wow. I've been released. Wow. <laughs> I am I am living. Andrew, I am sensing a shift. Yeah. It seems like there's there's a pretty big mental shift going on here. Are we going to have to I'm free. Are we going to have to talk about this in After Dark sometime? That's not a tease for this week by the way, like that. <laughs> all those friend dates. It's all the friend dates. I have a fucking life. Yeah. He's going to be chronically offline before we know it, Laura. <laughs> look look at well, I still got to make money, so Look at my shirt. <laughs> it's a sun. And look at my hat. It says prevent wildfires. I am so outdoors these days. You're outdoor I'm Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I feel good just outsmarting the subscription services. They they thought 
I would have no life forever. But I'm showing them. I finally got it together. <laughs> I could I could get outside. <laughs> well, anyway, um, we appreciate your subscription here to Millennial. We have this new physical gift this year, the 2023 signed album art. I mean, <laughs> you two are laughing as I they could they can take us outside. It's fine. We start we're still on brand with your new brand. No, exactly. <laughs> Remember what I said earlier? Anytime you're presented with a subscription to something, ask yourself, is the cost worth the convenience? This is not a garage door subscription. We're giving you a lot of benefits, including uh this year's physical gift, signed album art, and a new physical gift every year, like the water bottle that I got behind me here, the the planner, t-shirts. It's probably time for another t-shirt maybe in the next year or two, right? That'd be fun. Yeah. No, I I will say just from reviewing some of our early survey data, that is a popular request. So people love shirts. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. We're looking at shirts again. We really appreciate everybody's support. Laura, what's coming up in After Dark today? That's a weekly benefit most of our patrons enjoy. Yeah. So as you kind of plugged at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about a different kind of ghost, if we're being loose about what a ghost is. And we're going to be talking about online con artists, specifically people who invent false narratives to garner attention or followings online, what that can look like. We're going to talk about a couple of prominent cases of this. Uh, One of the primary ones we're going to focus on is Coco Berthman. So for anyone who is, you know, somewhat familiar, maybe not familiar at all, there is a ton of reporting on this case that you can read up on. And there are also a couple of podcasts out there about it. So if you want to be primed, for the After Dark discussion, you could check those things out. Um, But yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting about it because we're also going to talk about some personal examples. Yeah. In a couple of cases. Muggle sucky up in here. It is a little, it's like muggle suck adjacent. Yes. (laughs) Patreon.com slash millennial is where you can get Mega Millennial, which is the main show ad free with After Dark at the end. It's also where you can get this year's and next year's and beyond's physical gifts and many more benefits to our live streams, our planning meetings, our planning docs, a new benefit that might be coming soon tied to this year's gifts. More to come. More to come. If you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. We'll have to make sure we put that hashtag in all the social yes. promos for this. <laughs> um, time for recommendations. I'm just going to do mine first because it is one I already touched on. Um, I was going to save this for recommendations, but it just came up earlier. <laughs> Touch grass and become less dependent on streaming apps. Good luck visualizing that, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> you do this on purpose. I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm just I'm just a deep thinker. I'm beyond imagery. That's where I'm at these days. Andrew has reached Zen, man. <laughs> You're on a whole other plane of existence. Did you ha- did you do drugs or something in the last week? Like, nope. what's going on? Too much beer in the last week, but no, I'm I'm fine. Everything's good. <laughs> well, I want to recommend uh, a makeup product that I've actually been using for about three weeks now that I really like. I wanted to make sure that I liked it before I recommended it, um, but it is Glossier's Stretch Foundation. This is a new addition to their lineup. Um, Anyone who's followed their brand for a while knows that they've long had a perfecting skin tint that is extremely light coverage and not super buildable. 
but they finally came out with their own foundation formula and it is really, really good. Um, I'm wearing it right now. It feels super light and it's also like a light to medium coverage, but it's also extremely buildable. So if you want a little more coverage, you can definitely do it. Um, I've really been pleased with it because I feel like it is one of my only foundations that looks good in person and on camera. And I think Pam, as a fellow makeup wearer, (laughs) I think you can appreciate this because sometimes when we're putting on makeup for the show, we have to go a little more heavy handed than we would if we were just hanging out in person because camera quality still isn't, you know, good enough that it picks up all the subtle tones and, and uh, coverages of your makeup. So you have to sometimes use a little bit of a heavier hand when applying it for the show. And when I wear this stuff, I'm wearing it and applying it exactly as I would for day to day wear. So really, really like it. It's skincare friendly too. um, And it's just very creamy and moisturizing. So Big win, especially going into the winter. Sorry, that was a very lengthy recommendation. <laughs> and they don't even sponsor us. Glossier, I am such a slut for y'all. I have recommended you so many times on the show over the years. Please sponsor us. Thank you. Okay, I'll give it back to you now, Pam. Also, to add to that, I, I have their Wouter in front of me because this is what I use to make sure I'm not shiny before it's we hop so on Riverside. good. Yeah, I love it. Well, not makeup related, but since we're in soup season, um, I wanted to recommend just getting any immersion blender if you don't have one. I don't know why it took me so long to get one. I, I just have a Cuisinart immersion blender now, but it makes making soup, especially pureed soups, so much easier because there's way less cleanup. I love making butternut squash soup in the fall and in the winter and making a pot of that uh, earlier today was just like... Oh, my God, I took two seconds with the immersion blender. So get on that if you haven't yet. Takes up way less space than a regular blender, too, which is really nice. And most of them come with different attachments. So like you could attach like mine comes with like one that makes it a a, like a food processor. And it also has like a whisk attachment and then it has like the blender attachment. So it's a great little little tool all in one. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. Make sure you follow this show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also write to the show by emailing millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Threads. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. And After Dark, we'll start in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew, and I've reached Zen. I'm Laura, and I decidedly have not. (laughs) And I'm Pamela, and I'm still chronically online. So (laughs) I'll send you all some graphs to touch. We'll see you all next time. Bye. (laughs) 